0: Father John Murray, you're a Jesuit, an Irish Jesuit, now based in Zambia. Uh, You were somebody who met and knew um, Father Frank Brown, who's in the news at the, the moment because of his role as a chaplain in the First World War and, of course, his photographing is of the same. When did you first meet Father Brown?
1: Well, I went to the Jesuit novitiate in 1945 and... We were in a separate house from the older fathers who were working as missioners and so on. So we knew there was this strange old Jesuit over in the other house. The only time we would have a chance of meeting him would be when we were serving his Mass. But even there, there was something strange. You used to notice he always changed his shoes before he put on the vestments for Mass. And these were the shoes in which he was ordained. By his uncle the bishop and he brought them with him everywhere and he only wore them when he was saying mass
0: and so how old would those shoes be at that stage
1: well you you probably have it on the (laughs) records when was he (laughs) ordained it was just just before world war one so it was um 1915 or something like that
0: and you were. This was would be in what year were you in the novitiate? That would
1: have been forty-five.
0: So we're talking at least thirty years. 30,
1: Forty years.
0: Yeah. So that was a ritual he observed.
1: That was a ritual, right to the end.
0: That's lovely. It probably was in honour of his uncle.
1: I think so. Yes, because the uncle meant so much to him. That's why he was the photographer. He was. He always got the latest model of camera.
0: Now you you. When did you find out about his photography? Because as you say, he was sort of a distant figure. You saw him changing for mass. Anything else?
1: Well, we we knew about the photography, but otherwise, you know, he he was just there. We noticed that he was quite irascible, that he could lose his temper. And if a novice uh, didn't behave rightly in his presence, he would let fly at him. There's a contemporary of mine, uh, Tom McGivern, who is uh, in our our nursing unit here. Um, He was sacristan at the time, and he was working in the chapel uh, at the back of the altar, uh, cleaning candles or something like that. And there was nobody in the chapel. Father Brown came into the chapel and started praying aloud, making you know, praying to God and thank you for the day. And Tom had to go for a duty. The bell went for the duty, and Father Brown didn't leave the chapel. So eventually, said, "I'll get into trouble if I don't go." So he made a dash for the door, <laughs> which, and he heard this that Frank was praying to God there, and then suddenly, "You, you louser, you spy!" <laughs> Because he had stayed and was afraid stayed, to move. He was listening to Frank praying there. <laughs> <laughs> so he got a full blast of World War I bad language.
0: <laughs> yes, I did hear that, that um, his language was quite colourful and perhaps mm-hmm. more given to that of a soldier or officer than, than a Jesuit priest. Yes.
1: However, as, as a novice at that time, uh, you know, we, kept, we were kept very much to ourselves. So I wouldn't really have gotten to know him at that time.
0: Just one other thing, when we're talking about the language, is it true that he used military language a bit as well? I mean, he called your man a spy. Um, no. Was that true?
1: At, at that, oh, yes, it, it was, now and again. But at that time, we wouldn't really have noticed it. No, when I got to know him, I went to Rathfarnham Castle, and then um, eventually I was doing a science degree. I did one year's arts, and then... The provincial switched me over to science and um, it was at the end of our second year uh, the lecturer who was doing ecology with us made us do a project during our long break it was sort of a, a survey she said anything your your back garden anything you like but you must know the plants and what they're doing and so on so I decided to go back to Emo and have a look at the bogs which were all over the place down there um outside Port Arlington there was a bit this big clonsast bog some of it been cut some of it still in its natural state so um I went down and I was doing my survey and as I started writing it up I said it'd be lovely if I had a few photographs it's a fascinating area so I went over to Frank Frank Brown and uh in trepidation, <laughs> and said, Look, I'm doing this project and um, I'd, I'd love to have a few photographs, but I don't know anything about photography. I don't have a camera. Any suggestions? And he was delighted. He said, No, no problem, no problem. I'll teach you how to do it. And so he gave me one of his old cameras, put in the film, and he said, Now try to take the sort of photographs you want and we'll develop them tonight. And i'll tell you what you've done wrong and Mm -hmm. he sort of took me under his arm there as a student as it were and you know we looked at the photographs he said oh no no that won't do no you're you're focusing there you know he told me everything that was you should have stopped down there not f8 bring it down to f 4.5 you know and we ended up with a beautiful set of photographs taken with his old camera, an old box camera sort of thing, because he had a very good like at that stage. He wouldn't give that to me. So they were delighted. The, the lecturer was saying, that was beautiful. And how did you manage those photographs? <laughs> I said, well, it's so only half me. I clicked them, but he, he was the man responsible.
0: And where are they now? Do you have them? Are they available? I, don't,
1: I often, when I, when I was in UCD as professor there, I, try, I don't think they were kept. You know, there were only, you know, five or six pages mm-hmm. and undergraduates, you know, there weren't. Um, but so I don't know where they've gone. So um, what happened then was that at that time he was doing a series of photographs on the work, the stucco work on the ceiling of the old big houses. A lot of them had been abandoned after we got our independence and were being demolished and there was some beautiful work there. So he was um, doing a series for some British magazine on these um, roofs. So he came up to Dublin and he asked my rector in Rathfarnham, could he have me to help him with taking these photographs and it was really an experience to see him working. You know, he had his like there's tripod and a whole series then of floodlights. So I was just, you know, the apprentice there. Uh, we set up the lights and he said, "Okay, let's see how it looks." And he'd be down in his tummy there, looking up and uh, say, uh, "Just move that light there, just back, back about a foot or so." No, no, that's not right. No, less. Bring it. OK, hold it, hold it. We've got that right. Now, the one on the other side, we would take at least a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour, before he would click. Everything had to be just right. And, you know, we'd get, hold it, hold it, we have it, we have it. <laughs> and just click, click, always take two and then. And it was such an experience for me. And I was at you know, several times with him then doing that. And he... He got quite um, a, a good royalty from the magazine, and all that money went to the Chinese mission.
0: Oh, really? Uh, I was I thought you were going to say he bought more cameras with no, it or something. No, no, like. he,
1: had, he had his cameras were, were there. So he, um, you know, he he told me he said, "Oh, John, you know, I sent off five thousand for the the Hong Kong mission yesterday." I the checks came in. Oh, it was big sums, you know. They were. It was a very posh sort of magazine, My you know, hunting and horses and all this sort of thing. And so they were able to pay him quite a bit for it.
0: And listening to you, it's clear. I mean, he was an artist at what he did, really. Oh yes,
1: because if you, if you look in Father O'Donnell's book, when he was a, um, a scholastic studying in France, during the long break. He did a course in Paris on the classical painters and their, their composition, analysing how they composed their photographs. And, you know, this was as, as, a, as a young man before he became a famous photographer. And I'm convinced that that was partly the reason that he, he was trained how to compose a good painting. And, of course, a photograph has to be composed as well.
0: Absolutely, and yeah. that is a hallmark of his it's, work. It stands oh, out yes. from other photographs. It's, it is the composition. You know, it
1: 20 minutes, half an hour to get one photograph of something that's staying there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he, he was really good. And, you know, he'd be making little remarks to me about, you know, getting the proportions right and so on. I learned so much from him.
0: And it was generous of him to ask for you since, you know, you mm. were a botanist and you'd been wanting the photographs for your flowers, but yeah. he then brought you into another Inter- wing of his yes, life.
1: Completely, completely different wing.
0: Did you take up photography yourself or did you just... Well, I did a lot
1: for, you know, for, uh, more or less for my own technical. For instance, I had a big set of slides in the university there. I don't know whether they're still there, you know the old transparencies which covered all the different vegetation types in Ireland and then whenever I was abroad you know some of the big you know deserts and the North North America my sister was living in Seattle at that time and I went over there for a botanical congress and she brought me around you know over the ranges into the desert and everything so I'd, all that recorded in, in these slides for from, from my lectures on world vegetation and so on.
0: And taught by the master how, how to at yes. least, yeah. you know, learn some things that, that would be important That's for nice. you in that work. When, what Did you continue your friendship with him, or, or did, how long more after that was he alive?
1: When I was here in Milton Park doing my theology, I think it was the year I was ordained I think it was uh, 58. He was getting very old and I remember on Saturday they used to have a fete here for collecting funds for rebuilding the part of the that had been burnt down in the famous fire. Mm-hmm. So he was go- going around we were helping with the fete and I could see him there he was dressed in his clerical collar and everything going around with the camera and Every now and again you'd hear blast it, blast it anyway. (laughs) And the the ladies there sort of looking this cursing priest. So that was on a Saturday. On Monday I was told Father Brown would like to see you up in his room, so I went up and he said John, I'm finished. I just can't take photographs any longer oh dear. and it was so sad he said that i i faced saturday was a disaster and it said they were absolutely hopeless so he said come on over here and he opened a big cupboard and there was all his stuff you know the, the lichen the extension lenses and the lights and everything he said take it I, i'm never going to use them again and of course he died the ne- the next year, you know, he was going down very fast at that stage. So I took them and uh, I brought them out to Zambia. And then the next thing we heard about Eddie O'Donnell's discovery of the photographs and that he was becoming Mr. Father Brown. So I said, look, I'm not using it much out here. Um, I took a few photographs, but not much. But The the Leica was, it was a beautiful job. So so I said, next time I come home on home leave, I'll just give it to Eddie and let it be part of his Father Brown collection. So when I went to his his community, oh no, he's in America, he won't be back for a few months. So I said, do you have the key of his room? He said, sure. So I just put all the stuff on his table. And when he came back, I got, I think, the, the warmest <laughs> letter of thanks I ever got in my life. He was absolutely, he said he'd been trying to pluck up courage to write to me in, in Zambia and ask me to leave the camera to him in my will. <laughs> <laughs> so we would have be a long time if we were to make that arrangement. Absolutely. And he said he came back and found it there on his table. He hadn't even to ask me.
0: That's a lovely story of two letting goes, because
1: yeah.
0: Father Brian let go to you. Yes. And, you know, yeah. after a very painful day, and it only took him a weekend to let only go. only
1: took him a weekend to realise this is it. So I think growing old gracefully, I think, is the grace <laughs> I need now to, be, to do it as gracefully as he did. But certain- and as generously. And you
0: made that start by handing it back over to Eddie and the work that he has done with that. But your own work is continuing. Um, I know you're in missionary work in Zambia, but um, you got a letter today from a a former student from UCD. Tell us that story. It's a great story.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, There's a thing called the yellow poppy. Puppies are red, but there's... It's a species that's yellow, and so it's very easy if you know anything about botany at all, it's very easy to see it and recognize it. It's extremely rare in Ireland. And I got this letter from a man called Gillian Roden that's working down in the West, and many ecologists still, and a beautiful picture of this plant close up. And he said, when he found it down there on the shore, in Ochinish, I think it was, that he looked up the literature and he discovered that it hadn't been seen in Ireland in that area since 1966. And there was a Professor John Moore from UCD had spotted it. He said it had never been seen since that. And he was walking the shore there after the storms, seeing what damage was done and he discovered this plant there so he he took a beautiful photograph of it and sent me this letter
0: was it just one John
1: he just one one plant plant? in in the in the photograph yeah so it was probably a seed that had buried there poppy seeds are famous for being um very long-lived and that it was uproot the seed came to the surface and was able to germinate uh because of, of the storms last winter
0: that is a beautiful story.
1: <laughs> beautiful story. <laughs> it, a it, beautiful it's letter. He, he, he thanked me so much for the training I'd given him in UCD and so on. You know, it was, it was a lovely okay. letter.
0: And what is the protocol now with something like that? I mean, would he take that and try and preserve the seeds and sow them? Or are they just let go? Does uh, it, do I you not interfere with
1: it? I, the normal normal thing, if it's a rare plant, you you don't. You know, you you don't pluck it, you get down on your belly and have a good look at it and try to see what it is. But, I, you know, there are probably, Poppy produces so many seeds, but I expect what he'll do is collect some of the seeds from the seed, seed pods yeah. when they ripen. yeah, And uh, so that he's able to propagate it.
0: And we'll have yellow poppies on the shores of Achanis again.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Well, in Zambia, do you work in the area of Botany or was that, when you retired, was that a new movie? When
1: when I went out, when I volunteered to go over there, the reason I volunteered was basically uh, way back in, I went out finally in 83, so I think it was 81. Um, We have a priest out there, Michael Kelly, who's made his name here in Ireland from Tillamore. Uh, who was working in the University and at that time he was um, fairly high up in the administration he was deputy vice chancellor and at that time Ireland was giving a lot of help to the um, University in Lusaka they were um, financing the sending out of lecturers from UCD would often go out to six months there their salary would be paid by the University into the bank and they would be paid out there, the going rate for a lecturer, professor. Um, so he arranged that I should go out, and you know the government would cover the expenses to be external examiner and advisor to the biology department. So it was only about six weeks, uh, six days' work, you know, mm-hmm. just having to interview students and mm-hmm. then going around giving, giving them a short report and so on. And I decided to stay on. It was the long break in UCD. So I stayed on for about another six weeks, visiting our different missions and so on, giving a retreat, I think, various things like that. And as I reflected on the visit afterwards, I decided, look, I've done enough for Ireland. I've been here in the university for 23 years. And, uh, you know, at a retreat there, it came very clear to me that you know, why not volunteer for to join the the Zambian mission? And so I did that, and the provincial consulted his consulters, and they said, reluctantly, we will give him permission to volunteer, (laughs) but, it was a very strong but, he must stay in third-level education. That's what he's good at. So they didn't want me going off to be into a nice, comfortable country parish priest (laughs) (laughs) so I went there and there was some Michael Kelly was arranging the whole thing and he said fine I've arranged for you to join the biology department etc and two days before I was due to fly out there was a telegram, there were no emails in those days saying something has gone wrong with the job in UNSA but come anyway So I went to the provincial, it was Father Joe Dargan who died a few weeks ago. Oh great man. Oh, great man. So he said, what am I to do? You know, my consultors were so strong, they didn't want you to go unless you had a job there. And he said, I know what I'll do. Bishop Corboy is in hospital having a hip replaced. I'll get his advice.
0: And that's another Jesuit who'd been made a bishop.
1: He'd been and made, he was the first yeah. bishop. Monze was the, yeah. the, the, the third diocese to be set up. And without any experience of Africa, he was a professor here, professor yes. of churches. He, um, he was sent out and he was a great success. But um, he was the wise man. So the provincial went along and told him the story. So he said, what did Michael say, Michael Kelly? He said, you can trust whatever Michael says. <laughs> and uh, well, he, Michael told in this telegram, said, come anyway. So he said, all right, send him. Great. So that's how I got Great. out. And here I was, landed there, state in third level education, no job. And so I tried applications here and there. um, There was a job right into my barrow in the agricultural department. They wanted to move into ecology. And of course, I was an an ecologist. That was my field. So I did all this, you know, application, all what a wonderful guy I am, and all these (laughs) wonderful (laughs) scientific papers and so on. I didn't even get an acknowledgement.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So eventually I went up to the botany department. I said, you know, you, when I was here as external examiner, you were very short of, of staff. He said, I know, but the university administration didn't have money. You're, you're too well qualified mm. for us. And so I said, look, I'll, I'll work as a tutor here if you like, part-time. He jumped at it. He said, oh, that's great. So I was just, you know, giving first-year tutorials and this sort of thing and uh, running practical classes. And about halfway through the year, one of the young lecturers ran into trouble with sort of a mental breakdown. And she was doing a very important course in ecology, statistics, and um, but ecology, statistics, and evolution. It was a huge course, all on her own. And she was, she was only just straight from her PhD. So you know the students, of course, were complaining. We're not learning anything from her. She's a lovely lady, but so eventually the head of department said, "Look, can you hammer together some sort of a course for these?" So the, there were three of us there, shared it. So he said, "I know you're only part time, and they're only paying you a pittance." I said, "Look, I'm not interested in the money, because <laughs> when I came home, they were asking." You know, the, the, when I visited the people in UCD, what are they paying you out there? <laughs> they said, if, if that happened here, it's below our minimum wage. Yeah. You know, yeah. a, a farm laborer, somebody yeah. sweeping the streets, if you pay them less than that, they're in prison. So, but um, so the, at the end Zambia. of that year, then they, they offered me a, a contract. Yeah. So I was in two, three year contracts there. So I was seven years altogether.
0: Zambia itself, of course, was and is a very poor country that has struggled hard to repay debts that were not of its own making and got little reward for it in many ways.
1: Well, there was a great achievement of the the abolishing of the debts. They managed to to get that and that made a big difference to the economy.
0: And you're there now. Are you still in the university?
1: No, no, I I was... uh, from there, I moved to Malawi. Um,
0: a really poor country by that's, any standards. Oh,
1: yeah. Every time, I, it makes me so angry, every time there's a report about Malawi, bracket, the poorest country in Africa, mm. that wasn't my perception at all. Okay, for an economist, but the people were so wonderful there. I mean, there's a richness there in Malawi. I spent... 12 years there after the university. And how it came about was that in um, the, the, the National Seminary there, um, the Theological Seminary, there was a lot of trouble there. I don't know what it was all about, but there was a visitor from Rome and he said, look, we have to do something about it. So the um, People in Rome got in contact with our general and said, look, will you tell the Jesuits in Zambia? We weren't in Malawi at that time officially. Tell the Jesuits in Zambia, because Zambia and Malawi, they're very, very similar sort of, you know, tribes and and language and so on, to send three Jesuits there. We want a rector, we want a spiritual father, and we want a dean of studies. Now, at that time, I was living in the same house as the provincial uh he's still he's still still out there still active and we knew he was trying to get jesuits from around. He had two people he had Father Peter Carroll who was to be the new rector he had um father O'Leary from the United States who had been trained as a spiritual father but then he he needed a third man, so he was asking english speaking Provinces of the Jesuits around the world, emailing them, asking them, would they have somebody even for six months, just to to you know f- obey the Pope as it were and the General. So he'd we'd come to breakfast. Any luck, Jim? Oh no, six refusals yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> and you could see it in his face. And you know, after about two or three of these rather gloomy mm-hmm. breakfasts, I said, "Look." I was, I'm I'm due for renewal of contract, and I was going to draft out my application today. You know, I know nothing about theology. I mean, I did pre-Vatican theology, but, you know, I can still read. Uh, do you think I'd be any good? Uh, at, at least I know that age group I've been teaching them all my life. Well, he jumped at it, I mean. He said, are you sincere? Are you joking? I said, no so that's just the way that um,
0: you ended up he said it?
1: fine he said that's great that's great the other two had gone on and had already started so at the end of the semester i said sorry i'm not applying for a renewal and uh, i went down there so i i had the that was between first semester and second semester so i had two weeks there to get my first lectures ready so I changed from being a biologist to being a sort of theologian, especially scripture. I was very interested in scripture.
0: And did you feel those moves in your life? I'm struck by one. You said you prayed about it on retreat, but it's they were sort of more intuitive than, say, a move that you might rationally sit down and do. That Were oh, you moving yes, out of a I different think that, place? That
1: movement of the spirit, you know, if, you do the spiritual exercises all that discernment of spirit is it the good spirit, is it the bad spirit and you know we're supposed to be experts in that helping other people to do that and well I had to do it myself
0: and you did you feel just a peace and it was the right thing and you went with it
1: yes exactly mm. and certainly you know th- that move to Malawi was a wonderful experience in a way we, we were there for, we had two contracts with the bishops, five years, and then another five years. And then the provincial said, all right, we've trained your men now. Many of them are, will be coming back as lecturers, and we'll gradually withdraw our men. So I stayed on for another year after that. So it was, I was 11 and a half years, almost 12 years there. And then there was one other man left, and then. They carried it on themselves all Malawian young lecturers I think there was only one the spiritual father was an older man that would have been in the seminary well before our time
0: what is the what is it about that kind of being in in Africa in countries like Malawi or Zambia I've met so many people men and women who've gone on mission most of them younger than you when they went, but something mm-hmm. happens that they really become a part of a place, and it's yes, they you know they don't miss Ireland really. they they just know they're in a right place. Have yes. you thought about that?
1: Well, various I suppose I would see i would I would read about fifty six fifty seven mm-hmm. when I went out there, so it wouldn't be the same as those who went out as scholastics, mm-hmm. you know at only twenty five, twenty six mm-hmm. sort of age. Um, and, you know, learning a new language at that age wasn't so easy either. And when I went there, I was told that there are no courses going at present. And I got very little encouragement. The, most of the judges said, look, you won't need it in the university. Everything is in English there. And I said, look, I'm not just a lecturer. I'm a priest also. And I want to be, you know, to help the people, to help in the parishes at the weekend. So I I had to learn it myself, just got a grammar and tried to learn the Nyanja language there. There was one old priest there who helped me, a white man. And and I discovered afterwards, when I got to know the language well, he was hopeless in Nyanja, (laughs) but at least he had his heart in the right place. And he used to, on a Saturday, say, John, I'm, I'm trying to get my sermon together. Um, come up and we'll do it together, you know. And he'd say, OK, now the Nyanju word for that. But in fact, he was very bad at Nyanju.
0: And that's the name of the language? Is that's it? the what, language. What? They, they were,
1: they used, it's the liturgical language in Lusaka. See, the problem with Zambia is there are so many languages there. I think there's six on the radio. News in six different languages. And there are, you know, little variants of those. I think the university, I think the official is 62 or something mm-hmm. like that. Whereas in Malawi, it was wonderful because it was, I went there when Kumuza Bandu was still dictator and he insisted everybody knew his language, which was, it's called Chichewa there, but it's basically the same language.
0: The same as Nyanga?
1: Same as Nyanga, yeah. yeah. Nyanja means Nyanja. the lake. It's Malawi, there's this huge Lake Malawi. So the people that live around the lake, whereas Chewa is the tribe name of oh, there's, there are, there's the center of the language.
0: That's an amazing achievement. I would hate to think that I was starting off a totally new language at at my age, which yeah. is the age you were then. After Malawi, so where where are you now?
1: Well, then I, the next thing I was told, I was hoping that, okay, that I'd be retiring now. The provincial said just one more year after the contract. So I thought I would be going to our parish. We had a new parish there, Karanga. So I used in, to... Go, in Malawi? In Malawi, yes. It, it would be, it was way up in the middle of the country. <clears throat> so I used to go there during the holidays just to get the feel of the parish. And I was pretty sure I was going to end up there as, you know, an assistant priest, the young, active Jesuit as parish priest. I just help with, you know, the ordinary things. Um, so I was very surprised when I got an email to say, "All right, um, the our college, Arupe College in Zimbabwe, in Harare, where we trained the young Jesuits after the novitiate, with the do, Languages, history, philosophy, that sort of thing. Um, I've, they've been asking us for a lecturer, and I've told them that you would be available. And I sent your CV, and he said to me, I got the reply, this is not a geriatric institution. Have you not got somebody younger? <laughs> so he wrote back he said I know he's what the age was. I must have been about 70 or so at the time and he said he's he's an unusual man for that age he's still able to function so I went down there and uh, when when I arrived you know I, I, I wrote ahead to the dean there saying you know what I was good at and so on and I just mentioned uh, computers that um, so when I arrived, he said, the very man at the right time, we've no, we are setting up a network for the computers. Um, we have an outside consultant, but he costs a bomb. Uh, do you think you'd be able to take over the network? So <laughs> very first thing before even lectures started, I had to supervise this big network that was being installed at the time.
0: You didn't say really a geriatric (laughs) helping you. (laughs) You resisted the temptation. How did you feel when you suddenly felt you were sure you were going to be an assistant in a quiet enough role Mm. and suddenly Mm. you're now back? I mean, did you mind that or was that just another thing that you took in your stride? No, you
1: just take it in your stride. I mean, Jesuits are supposed to be obedient men, so.
0: But sometimes obedience can be hard. Yeah,
1: but if, 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 for instance, I, I just can't do that. For instance, in UCD, 65 is retirement. Now, they can keep you on for a year if you're still you know, functioning properly, but 70, that's the cut-off point. No way. They may give you a little room or they may give you a corner of a lab to do your own work, but no official lectures. So, you know, that's the way that we're thinking in a but, uh, I really enjoyed the time there you know working with the scholastics and so on and I, I was mainly doing scripture because they did a bit of theology there also mm. but then there was uh, yeah the prescribed courses were that I was doing was okay New Testament the, um, the Gospels synoptic Gospels and then the prophets and then I was also there was a, a course on philosophy of science so I was able to get back into science no. science again.
0: And when you were doing the scripture, were you sort of two steps ahead of the posse, or?
1: Well, I had been had doing it in, in Malawi. Ah, you see, yeah. I'd been I'd, towards the end of my time there, especially. Well, that was the only thing I was lecturing in right. both Old Testament and New Testament. So I was I was well in well
0: read for that for that. And now you are still there.
1: No, I've been. Um, I was. How long was I there? I was there uh, six years, I think. Sure. Yes.
0: But just to be clear, when did you retire from UCD? What age were you?
1: I was fifty-six.
0: Did you take voluntary retirement then?
1: Yes, I thought that I would forfeit my pension, and I went along to the the bursar there, Mikhail, and I said, you know, if if I retire at fifty-six, if I retire next year. Will I, will I get a pension? He Said no problem. He said you know, look at the regulations. How many years were you here, 20 you'll get twenty-three over fifty or something like that of your present, and it'll it'll grow with if if there's an increase here, your pension. Yeah. So that pension, you know, it, it came straight to the province here, and the treasurer here in Ireland, very because it belonged to the province. I mean, was, I was working as an Irishman. He. Sends that to Zambia. Great. And so it goes into the Zambia funds.
0: Right. And now, tell me then what happened. we we you've... Arupe College and then...
1: Yes. Well, Arupe College then, I was back to Zambia again. And at present I'm stationed in the novitiate there. So it's... Um, That's for no, novices, novice for young Jesuits, for young, is it? Young, young men who want to become Jesuits. Mm. So... You know, if they express an interest, they're usually in charge of a man whose job is to look after these. We call him vocation director. Mm-hmm. So it's usually a year or two. If they're in the university, they're advised get your degree first. But they keep in touch with the director, and you know they they, they will. None of them will come to the novitiate. Come and see session, and you know do a bit of prayer. Learn how to find out what God wants from them and go on a few excursions to the different Jesuit missions and so on, just to get to know us. And of course they mix with the existing novices. I think the novices do the real work there. Mm. Um,
0: what are vocations like there at the moment? Because in Ireland, obviously, it's oh, a, very, a very, very oh, yes, different we, we, scenario.
1: Yes, it's just a trickle for us.
0: A trickle it, in, yeah, oh, here? I here, mean here, here in, yeah. in
1: the pro- Irish province. Mm. No, we're doing pretty well. We're but we have, now there are three provinces, it's it's a joint, so South Africa, Zimbabwe and Zambia-Malawi, and about equal numbers. So our second year now that I would have been with last year, they're, they're um, 12, I think, pretty well. I think we have four, Zimbabwe has five and I think three from South Africa, that sort of numbers. So that's usually about, so if you've, if you get 12 in both years, that's 24. Just this particular year, there were only four entered just before I left. And I think there's another one expected. He had to postpone it for a month or two. But, you know, it's 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 constant. Yeah.
0: And is it a, a... The church there has a... I mean, do you notice a huge difference when you come back to Ireland? We've had our abuse scandals. We've had... Yeah really fairly um, seismic changes here in Ireland
1: I'm obviously very interested you know with the email and uh, you know I I, I get the Irish Times every morning on my computer and uh, you know we were really worried about that but it, it would get into the newspapers there but it wasn't the big thing it was in Ireland as far as the media were concerned and On the whole, I think the Catholic Church especially has a very good profile there. You will get a few discontents or pseudo-atheists or whatever. Uh, So that that wouldn't be the problem there. If there is a scandal, they'll mention it. But it's interesting, you know, the the media, the, the way they've really fallen in love with Pope Francis and so on. And you'll very often get his picture in the ordinary newspapers um uh, the, the big difference, of course, when I come back is the, the, the liturgy, the mass. The, you know, the the Africans, they love singing, and they sing so well, and, and dancing, and, um, you know, a mass without uh, singing somehow or other just doesn't seem right to me. I mean, theologically, that's not correct at all, but uh, you get so used to, you know, saying the Sunday Masses there. and those choirs are so proud of their performance and uh, they, you know they do it in most parishes especially the the community i'm in out there the the Vitiate, it it's 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 split into three there's the visiot then there's the parish that belong to our community but they're living about a kilometer away um, and then there's the bay uh chula house which is right beside the novitiate there. So when I get old and infirm, all I have to do is walk <laughs> about 50 yards and I'll be in the right place.
0: <laughs> You're not thinking of coming back then to Ireland?
1: Not really. We, we, when they were planning this um, building, we got a cir- those of us over 70 got a circular. Let's suppose you begin to get old and infirm and... Amnesiac, etc., etc. Uh, would you prefer to return to Ireland or would you prefer to stay here? So I think what I said, if I still had my faculties and could recognize people and talk to them, but there was some disease, cancer, whatever, I think I'd prefer to go home. Right. And I uh, have my friends to talk to. I know many of them would come to visit me. If I was gaga, and the old memory gone, etc. I want to stay in in Zambia. Right. So uh, I don't know which way I'm going. Well, you're certainly I'm, getting, knows. I'm getting forgetful. I don't see any signs bad, of yes. that,
0: not not at all. Um, to, to finish then, and just, I'm still
1: teaching, I teach the novices.
0: That's fantastic. And uh-huh. do you mind me asking what age you are now? Uh,
1: what am I, 87.
0: I wish people could see <laughs> if the Jesuits could market a product for uh, youth. Maybe we could make a fortune, John, <laughs> and uh, sell how, how it. Do
1: to live to 90 to join the it? Jesuits? Yeah. And, yeah.
0: and look 70, which you still do, and sound that as well. What is, I suppose it ties into my final question, um, you know, you you seem so serene and um, so sharp, so in touch with everything, um, and, and very, very serene. What would you say is the, that driving force for you that keeps you in this way?
1: Well, I suppose being a biologist, I would tend, first of all, to give the biological question. And just before I volunteered for Zambia, I was living with a small Jesuit community near Belvedere College, there in, in an old slum. Um, a number of the young men said look we want to be close to the poor people we're studying theology and what's the point in doing it behind closed walls Mm. we want theology for the people so i was asked to be um, superior there so i was three years there and there was a period when they were going to milton park here for their lectures they also had their meals there So I was cooking for myself in the evening when I came back from the university. And just as an experiment, I'd been noticing whenever we were out with the senior students on field work, when we come back to the hostel, a lot of them were vegetarian, especially the girls. And they looked very healthy and very beautiful, (laughs) despite not eating meat like the other fellows. So I said, just try it now that I... I'm doing my own cooking. So I went on to beans and the usual thing, and I said, I'll give it a month. And I felt great. I said, another month. I said, what's the point? And I don't like meat particularly anyway, except for a few things. And uh, so I started. So when I went out, I was vegetarian, and I've kept it up since. And every time I have a medical check, when I tell the doctor I'm vegetarian, he said, oh, that explains a lot. He said, that's probably why you're so healthy.
0: That's amazing, isn't it? Mm. So, and would you eat fish?
1: No, no. And, and any mm. flesh. I don't eat fish. I don't eat termites like they do any animal. You just just stick, stick to Stick to vegetables, yes.
0: Well, you're a good recommendation for it, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. I don't um, have
1: too many imitators. <laughs> Actually, one, one of the novices last year started on the vegetarian <laughs> thing, yes. To try it out, I said, well, now no, just try it. But
0: so always be ready to try something new as well and not to be afraid of that unknown. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, you're returning um, to Zambia
1: in September towards the end of September
0: so you're enjoying yourself here in Ireland
1: yes very much so very much so it's great to meet old friends again
0: and do you be sad going back or are you happy to oh no
1: I'm very happy to go back very happy to go back